Hello and welcome to episode two of series two of the Agents Hope podcast. My name is Tim Cox, I'm your host. And today um, I'm really honoured to have Dr. Nicola Canale with me, um, who is an educational psychologist from Cardiff in South Wales. And we're going to be talking about, you know, the earliest of early years uh, work that people could be doing, which is something I don't know a huge amount about. But before I kind of prattle on about what I don't know, uh, perhaps I should introduce uh, Nicola and ask, who is Nicola Canale? Hi, Tim. Hello. What a question. Who am yeah. I? <laughs> so um, I'm, as you said, I'm an educational psychologist. I lead a parent infant team here in Cardiff. It's a multidisciplinary team and it's made up of myself, who's the lead of the team. There are educational psychologists and some parenting practitioners. Um, and in my spare time, outside of work, I also co-lead the Wales Association for Infamental Health Hub okay. with um, a colleague of mine um, who is a health visitor. So that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. And what, what kind of, you know, it, those seem to be like quite kind of big kind of jobs. And, you know, what, what was your kind of thing that really kind of interested you about this area of educational psychology or educational psychology as a whole? Um, I suppose my interest in the early years has just kind of evolved, I think, throughout my, my career. Um, started off with regards to interest in educational psychology i was a teacher mm -hmm. in a in in a welsh medium primary school in newport and i took on um the alenco senko as it was then but mm -hmm. alenco role there um really became interested in you know um supporting children with additional needs with um learning cognition etc so decided to go back to do the educational psychology training mm -hmm. so when I did I suppose when I did my um first degree in psychology at Swansea I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go with psychology I was just really interested in in psychology and that's why I did it as a degree but I hadn't really um you know decided on a career mm. path following that yeah. so um it went into teaching and then yeah like I said my interest developed from there um, didn't quite manage to get on the course the first year, like mm -hmm. lots of other people yeah. I know. So um, worked for a year then as an assistant educational psychologist in Newport and then, um, yeah, got on to the doctorate. So the first year I applied, it was still a master's mm -hmm. course. And then um, after after the second time I applied and was successful, it, it was a doctor course, which is, uh, yeah, Um and then I suppose got my first role in Newport Educational Psychology Service and actually worked more with um, the older age mm. group, I suppose. So um, one of my um, one of my school settings was pupil referral unit um, mm. in in Newport um, and worked a lot with sort of teenage um, young people there. Mm. Um, and I suppose just developed an interest really I think in attachment and relational approaches from mm -hmm. that working with um, young people yeah so, so kind of sort of feeling that there was some other kind of explanation or um, ideas around what 
what was going on for those children. Um, and that was going back sort of 10 years ago when we didn't maybe know so much about advert, you know, the studies around adverse childhood experiences and things were around, but maybe hadn't, weren't, you know, sort of as familiar to us mm. then as educational psychologists, but really felt that there was some other explanations and ideas around why some of these young people that I worked with um, were really finding things tricky with regards mm. to school and regulation, regulating behaviours and managing emotions and, you know, accessing more traditional, maybe learning environments. So really got interested in, in attachment and relational psychology, I suppose, and all, all the theories around that. And then um, whilst I was on maternity leave with my second um, little boy, saw a role come up uh, for a flying, flying start educational psychologist in Merthyr. Mm -hmm. And really thought that the more I was, you know, so there was those two things. There was that interest in attachment theory um, and developmental psychology that was that was happening anyway. Plus, I think having my own two young yeah. children at that time, I think that really um, sparked my interest in the early years in that way. And then I think I saw a role in Flying Start, which is kind of like the... Welsh equivalent of what used to be the Shore Star yes. program in England. Um, thinking about how, you know, really that opportunity was there, I think, to bring those two areas of my interest in the early years from having my own children, but also then bringing some of that, those ideas um, that I'd been learning more about together. Um, and yet yeah, I, I spent um, nearly two years in Merthyr as the Fly and Start Educational Psychologist there. Mm -hmm. And then this role came up in Cardiff to lead um, Parents Plus, which is, a, like I said, a parent. We work with parents and children under four years old in Cardiff. Um, and just thought that was, again, an amazing opportunity to be involved at an even earlier age, I think. Mm. So that nought to two. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, um, that's a really <laughs> quick history yeah yeah I mean and I think this it's uh you know it's, it's I guess I got a couple of questions off that and, and a few reflections I mean I guess uh like right at the beginning of that kind of story you said about working in a Welsh language school do, do you ever use the kind of Welsh language in the work that you do now is is that a you know a regular occurrence because it's not something we think about a lot in in England mm -hmm. you know we often talk about English as an additional language you know, but, but in Wales, mm -hmm. you know, there is kind of that kind of two types of kind of state school yeah. that you can go to. Yeah, I mean, when I was a um, an educational psychologist um, in Newport, I did cover the Welsh language schools as well. Mm -hmm. So there was a big primary school there. And, and since more primary schools have been opened as well. Um, and, and now we're able to, we're fortunate actually in our team that we've got three educational psychologists who speak Welsh as well as English. So we are able to offer the service bilingually. Um, mm -hmm. It's 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 more common for us to do the work through the medium of English, but some families, I was working with a family um, a couple of months ago who requested the service in Welsh. So okay. um, 
yeah, had to brush up on my Welsh language skills in order to do, <laughs> do the home visit. And, and I'm also lucky that a couple of the parenting practitioners speak Welsh as well. So, you know, we're just really fortunate to be able to offer the service bilingually. Mm. And that's great. Yeah, mm. that's, that's fantastic. Mm. And I guess the, I guess the other uh, reflection I'd have, obviously, um, I've got to make this about me now. <laughs> But, you know, yeah, like as we've discussed in kind of prior planning discussions, actually, you were the first education psychologist that I ever met or ever yes. kind of came across. I never I never knew it was a job. And I happened to be working um, as a teaching assistant in one of the people referral units at at um, in Newport. And, you know, it had a profound effect on how I saw education and uh, all of those things, particularly, I think um, you suggested you may well have de um, delivered uh, nurture group and attachment training, um, possibly, um, but you also were kind of regularly in the assessment centre of that um, of that uh, pupil referral unit, and I was kind of doing some outreach work, going out to schools, and we did some kind of co-working with that. So mm. I think my experience of just coming into contact with you as an education psychologist made me want to become an educational psychologist so um I'm obviously very grateful for that um but yeah I mean it kind of shows how um I guess that even in kind of, I guess for you that was just kind of day in day out work but just in a way of being and of giving people opportunities to discuss things in a different way or or see things in a different way we can have quite profound unintentional impact on, on, on other people yeah it was a you know when i i heard you chatting i think it was with dan O'Hare mm. about you know um in a previous podcast about that and it, it's quite yeah it took me aback really because you you don't you sort of just working in a way that is aligned with your values and how you you know feel you know just that the language you know it is it is my a conscious thing isn't it when we repeat I think the language we use in the way we're talking about young people the way we're trying to center young people in you know decision making and planning and you know it is it is something that you you are doing mindfully but maybe you don't reflect on the influence that has on mm. you know and the people within that system so that was so lovely and encouraging to hear um yeah yeah, yeah. i just remember you know i i happened to be at the assessment center at that point because i had a um basically a, a stomach injury um which meant i couldn't be kind of on frontline stuff so i was very lucky to get that stomach injury <laughs> at that time but i just remember you know, you were working with the assessment centre leader and he'd come out and we'd spent the next couple of days going out and reading different, I mean, it was, it was popular psychology, what we were reading, but just to think of it and talk about it in that different way, um, you know, you kind of, I guess that kind of theory of kind of people being in networks and, you know, being a certain way mm -hmm. within that network can have a ripple effect on other people and, you know, make people see their work and their lives differently, even though they're not the the subject of the reason that you'd be involved with it. I think that's, you know, I thought, I thought that was amazing then. And that's something that I kind of aspire to now and, and talking about psychology to staff and to parents, 
in an accessible way as you did with me was was is something that I try to do on a regular basis so yeah and I do see that as a key part of you know I've had different roles in different contexts as an educational psychologist but I think one of the key things I've always tried to do is make that psychology accessible to mm. to others um to introduce ideas in ways that is meaningful but also understandable and makes sense to people um and that's not in any way about sort of dumbing anything down or think it's it's just about you know making sure that those ideas that we've spent a long time studying and thinking about are translated in an accessible way, I suppose, yeah. whether that's with children, young people, parents, staff, you know, um, yeah, that's all. I think that's always been something that I think we're really skilled at as educational psychologists as well is is doing that. Mm, absolutely. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think I was really inspired by the accessibility of that kind of attachment and nurture literature that you presented in it, something that I really thought about really for the next you know, certainly into the second year of my training uh, about what that meant and and how that you know changed my practice I think what it led me to do was to work with parents a lot mm. um, and understand that they do have a large amount of expertise and good intention and all of those sort of things and really uh, made me assess you know, I think in my first couple of years of, of working in schools, I was really scared to call parents because I felt, mm. oh, they're going to judge me because I'm so young and all of those sort of things. But mm. it's been a big shift in my thinking towards that. And although that wasn't precisely what you were talking to me about, it kind of, the, the roads that I followed as a result of those early conversations led me to that point. So that's been really, really helpful. Um, I guess the other question I'd have is kind of, and I will come on to kind of working in the earliest years of the early years in, in, in a minute is I asked this question to, to, to Kathy Atkinson last week about what her kind of hope for educational psychology in, in 2021 or post pandemic, whenever that would be, you know, do you have an idea about what you'd like um, educational psychology to achieve in that time or continue doing? I think, um, We've sort of touched on some of those ideas, I think. I think we, I think there's two parts to our training, our role that we can really bring to that change process. And it is our understanding of, like I said, the psychological theory and the research um, and bringing that to any kind of area where people might want to make changes or they might need, you know, help moving forward with anything but also our understanding of the actual change process itself mm. and I think they are two different but complementary things so we talked about being able to take some quite complex ideas and think in theory and, and research and, and translate them into really accessible ways for people but also I think yeah like I said that training around understanding um, how 
the conditions needed uh, to facilitate positive change, the role the relationships play in that, um, implementation psychology, mm. um, you know, therapeutic approaches. I was listening to Kathy's podcast last week about, you know, bringing ideas like motivational interviewing, solution-focused approaches. So I think, um, yeah, I would just hope that those kinds of skills that we do have are, are valued and are, you know, mm. and are capitalised upon really, because, yeah, in any kind of context where we need to support families, children, young people, I think they're the two key things that we can bring to that as educational psychologists. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's been, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a tricky year for my team. Um, we've been mm. working with families who we had to change very quickly from working face-to-face -face with families, to, to working remotely with families um, over video or phone calls. Um, and it has been difficult, but I think we've just stuck to our values and our principles and our, um, like I said, our training, our knowledge of psychology, our understanding of systems and processes and, like I said, the psychology of change. And that's actually got us through this difficult time because I think you know um like I said that that can whatever context we're involved in whatever change issue we're involved in I think they are the skills that we can keep bringing and applying to yeah. that so my hope is that we just continue to do that even yeah. though the the con the context might be slightly different or slightly more challenging with regards to um you know what's been happening in the world over the past year but I think if we trust that trust the psychology and trust yeah. the processes that we bring to that I think um yeah we'll continue to be able to make a difference yeah okay yeah I mean I think that that really resonates with a lot of things that I think but okay so if we um shift to thinking about the earliest of early years as I'm putting it <laughs> children age kind of birth to, to two it's something I often say when I'm talking to children explaining my role is I always often say, you know, I work with people from you know, their first few days of life to you know, when they're kind of around 25, 26. And I always feel, well, I actually haven't, until I talk to you, I actually haven't worked with really many children at all that are naught to two. So, you know, when we kind of, uh, you know, Abby kind of mm -hmm. puts together um, for a conversation about it, I thought, oh, actually, this is going to be really interesting because it's something that I, would say that I definitely would do, but I haven't done it yet. So could you just explain kind of a little bit about kind of, you know, what working with children at that age is like and why it's important and what, what EPs can offer to, to, to that sort of work? So first of all, I just wanted to pick up on your point really, Tim, about us not sometimes as educational psychologists having that option such an opportunity maybe it's not that we haven't got the skills or the knowledge or the competencies to do that it's just the opportunities and I I do feel that one of the reasons might be that the educational psychologist would become involved when a difficulty becomes apparent within the child mm -hmm. so if a child is falling behind with milestones or a child is starting to display behaviours the parents or preschool settings are finding difficult to manage or difficult to to cope with so I do think there's something about that 
that is really important with regards to the role of the EP. Mm. Um, so, you know, um, but with regards to the 0 to 2 age range and what we can offer, I think it's, you know, we, it's, it's, we can offer so much, I think. Mm. Um, we know that that 0 to 2 age range is, is a time where, you know, the brain is developing the most rapidly of any other time in life, the second mm. period being sort of adolescence. Um, and we know that what what really impacts, you know, we know the children bring, you know, they bring some stuff to the world, so their own biology and their own their own individual differences. But we also know that the environment is, you know, plays a critical role in the architecture of the brain development, in their ability to learn how to regulate their own emotions. Um, so the way that we work with children in the to two age range is of course around those relationships, around that environment, which is often the parent or the caregiver. So we can't, you know, we don't do individual type work with to two often, although mm. there is some elements of the work that can be um, done directly with babies and infants like talking to the baby and things like that mm. but as a as a rule the way to you know the way to support that child's early development and well-being or infamental health as it's often referred to mm. is is through supporting those relationships um you know between the caregiver and the baby or infant so that's very much um where we intervene with regards to um, supporting this age range. So I think there's something really important about working dyadically at this age as well. Mm -hmm. So working with the parent and child together or the parent and infant together. Mm -hmm. So we, we do sometimes just work with parents individually. And like I said, as the children get older, sometimes we work with children individually. But I'd say in the main, this 0 to 2 age range is about working dyadically. So you're working with the interaction with the relationship between the parent and the infant. Um, so problems are not viewed as kind of being located within a child or within or within a parent separately. Mm -hmm. um, any kind of problems or difficulties or things that a parent wants to work, we, we view very much in that relational way. So we're working between the parent and mm -hmm. child, parent and infant. Um, and I think what we we can offer as educational psychologists to that work is, again, we have that training, understanding background in early child development, in developmental psychology. You know, you're thinking about Piaget and Vygotsky and theories. We have that knowledge of attachment theory, um, mm. of um, some of the, the trauma-informed approaches. So again, we've got that um, rich knowledge base of psychology to draw from. And going back to what I said earlier, we've got the understanding of what, as well as how we facilitate change. So it's not just the, the knowledge, it's the how are we going to help this parent get from this point to this point mm -hmm. by working with the parent and child together. And I think, again, that's, that can be... You know, I'm very aware that I work in a context where I have 
I have access to that parent and infant. You know, I visit them at home. I can do mm-hmm. some of that work, that dietic work. And and I and, and I know that not all education psychologists have also got that are working in that kind of setup or in that kind of system. And it can be a barrier, but um, but you know we can overcome barriers as well, can't we? That's part yeah. of, of what we do as well. So, um, yeah, I think very much that the working dyadically with the parent and infant is key to this age range and the effect that that can have on, you know, the positive effect that that improving any the interaction or the relationship between the child and caregiver can have on all aspects of the child's development is you know, at this age range is 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 an amazing and ho- really hopeful place to be, to mm. be working in. Um, mm. And then also, you know, the other layers of our work, working at that kind of um, more, more group level with regards to offering consultation, supervision to other professionals who are working mm-hmm. with, with those um, parents and infants is a really key part that we can play as educational psychologists. And then even wider at that strategic level, um, training, um, thinking about feeding into pathways and systems that, that you know support children and families. So yeah, I think thinking of those, all those different layers really, I think EPs have so much mm. that they can offer in this age group. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like like when you were first talking about, you know, we often start our work when children come into systems and they're, not, they're seen as, you know, not hitting average expected development or something like that. And, you know, I guess there's this sort of intrinsic sense there that it's like our work in the first place come, first comes about by trying to fix a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas I guess what you're talking about is like you're encouraging thriving rather than fixing from a very, very early, early age. And, you know, then using all the kind of vast array of things that EPs can do, but just with a younger age group and relationally with, 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 with ch- children and their parents. Yeah. And what I would say is there are levels, I think, to that work. So it could be that EPs are working at that very preventative, promoting the best Mm. possible, you know, we're promoting warm, loving, responsive interactions between parents and and caregivers um, anyway, because that's what helps children thrive. That's what helps to build secure attachment relationships, Mm -hmm. etc. So it's it's kind of intervening in that earliest phase in order to set children off on that on that, you know, positive developmental journey, really. Mm -hmm. But it's but also we can I I think we can intervene if there is a concern at that very early stage. So lots of our referrals, for example, come from health visitors who might mm. know, know um, that there's risk factors associated with, you know, a, a, an unborn baby. You know, we've had babies referred to us before, before birth where there's, mm. a, there's a series of risk factors. So maybe um, a parent has 
you know, had a previous child who's gone into the looked after system or maybe there's um, domestic violence within the home. or So there might be some risk factors where it's felt that, you know, some sort of early um, support could be provided before the baby's born or there might be there might be um, some worries or concerns from a health visitor from that birth visit that the, the parent infant interaction or relationship isn't um, as it as it might be or isn't mm-hmm. um, as optimal as it could be. It might be that there's a very dysregulated parent who's finding it difficult to soothe their baby. So there's, I think, again, we work from that whole spectrum, don't we, from preventative work to maybe more mm. targeted to actually, I think we can also offer that more specialist kind of intervention as well when the difficulties are apparent, but mm-hmm. it's it's knowing it's knowing what to look for with regards to that parent-infant interaction, isn't it? And and I do think that with, you know, some of this training is from from, you know, our our doctors and educational psychology training. But I but I think we all go off then, don't we? Following that in our own, we, we pursue our own interests. We we carry on developing with regards to our continued professional development. And I think, um, for me personally, that's what. I've done since qualifying is done uh, more sort of specialised training, maybe I would say, yeah. in the naught to age range. So, um, you know, video interaction guidance, um, watch, wait, wonder, um, thinking about um, there's some really interesting training from the Anna Freud Centre mm-hmm. around early infancy. Um, so it's really carrying on building that knowledge and expertise in that area you decide to go into as an as an educational psychologist can can be part of it as well um so yeah um definitely the preventative stuff but also like I said we can I think become involved when when there's a need for maybe more specialist interventions as well Mm -hmm. okay and I mean this might be a, a, a a difficult uh question to answer but I guess the anxiety pinged up in me. It was like, how how do you how do parents take take this? I mean, I, I guess it's no different than being referred at any other time. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, again, um, we've done a lot of work the last couple of years in in talking to our referrers about. Um, how to involve us at that earlier stage because because we work nought to four <laughs> so again um maybe we would traditionally become involved two plus when again mm. if if a parent was actually asking for i need i need some support with the temper tantrums or mm. the sleep or the so um we could that maybe that older the two to four age range was the time we would typically typically or or previously have become involved because a parent was asking for that support it can be more sensitive can't it to to, for a referral to say oh I think maybe you need to be involved with this service Mm at this earliest stage um I think what will happen typically is there will be something that um, that a parent might 
be asking for help around. So it might be something like feeding or a really unsettled baby or, um, you know, a, a parent who's um, feeling quite low in mood with regards to um, interacting and things with the baby or the infant. Um, and then it's just about building us. We've got really good relationships, I think, we've built really good relationships with our referrers and we've almost come up with a kind of script as to what you would you know say and mm. and very much working I think we're really fortunate in Flying Start that we are a multi-agency team we do work really well together and and it's kind of that low it's sort of introduced in that oh I've got we've we work really closely with a team who can who can help with feeding or waking in the night or uh, um and it's just sort of introduced in that way really um mm -hmm. so something will sometimes be 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 there that the parent will want to want to seek help and support with um and then it's just about building that you know when we do become involved it's just about really talk one of the main things that we do is formulate that piece of work with a parent so we we very mm. much we haven't got like a prescribed um off the shelf sort of program or intervention um we sort of we create that piece of work with the parent so we will then um, visit the family home so the educational psychologist will visit the parent at home um, and the parent practitioner will be there as well and we will really ask the parent what what would you like to work mm. on what would you like to support with um what's going well what what are the things that we might be able to help you with talk to them about other things we've done with other parents that they might find helpful so um things like like i mentioned video interaction mm. guidance so so it's a it's a very sort of organic uh and um non-threatening i think introduction to our service sometimes we go out and do a joint visit with a health visitor and they'll say oh can can one of nicholas team just come along and and, and mm. have a little chat and tell you about the work they do so it's um yeah it's something we've worked really hard on i think with regards to um thinking about how we would introduce ourselves as a team the type of work mm. we do but the key for us is is for parents to be really heavily involved with with creating those areas those targets we're going to work on and, and helping to inform what we're going to do with the parent mm. and i'm just thinking about kind of you know i guess our work is always centered around the child and the relationship with the parent but it must be uh, a, a huge i haven't had children but it must be a huge change for the parent in terms of their identity and their personal circumstances to have mm -hmm. a, an infant um you know and and being responsive to that and, and containing their needs you know in my experience of my friends and family who've gone through those experiences those those early 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 years are are, are the most difficult because it's very hard to communicate um in, in that time so it, it makes lots of sense for us to bring the psychology then um yeah rather than further down the line to understand it hindsight why something was difficult or something wasn't difficult yeah and it is that period where parents are actually very receptive to 
talking about, you know, maybe um, their own parenting experiences, their own, um, what they want to carry on, what they want to do differently. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does bring up, you know, unsettling and difficult um, thoughts, memories um, about, you know, what they experience as children. And that sometimes when I talk about us doing work with a parent and infant together, there are times I think where we do need to do a little bit of work with a parent first, you know, almost independently Mm. of the, because, um, you know, that there are sometimes things that, that is helpful to explore with a parent. So, you know, what, how you know, you know what was their experience of parenting like and what, like I just said what mm. would they like to take forward and what they who were the most positive um role models for them so there's a concept in child um and parent psychotherapy called ghosts in the nurseries and angels in the nurseries so mm. it, the ghosts are the things that you know keep co- that come up maybe a bit out of that um unconsciously and come out in that in that new parent-infant relationship that you know um can feel a bit um overwhelming for parents um and then there's the the angels are the positive role models they've had growing up and what they would like to you know how they would like to be so i think there is um it is a time where uh, parents are really open and receptive to talk about this stuff but like i said it can stir up quite difficult Mm -hmm. um emotions and experiences uh when they've had that you know when they've had that baby and that's for mums and dads I think with regards to you know that mm. big change it's, it, it, it's it's not just about um you know mums finding that tricky sometimes it is it is about dads as well so um you know all the work we do is offered to both parents if there's mm-hmm. whether they're living together or not um and also when I use the term parents, it could be um, it could be foster carers, it could be grandparents, it could be. So, you know, we use parenting as, you know, caregivers in the wider sense in that way. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a really it's such a amazing time really to be involved, I think, with a family mm-hmm. um, for all those reasons. And and I think sometimes as well, um, lots of the lots of the things that a parent is experiencing it is is normal and typical and you know for, for lots of parents and and parts of our role i think in work with the family is to to reassure them of that that you know parenting is is a life-changing having a child is a is a massive life-changing mm. event um and that they they're not alone in feeling that that can be a bit overwhelming or um or difficult to to adjust to um hmm. so yeah there's a there's um there's lots of there's lots of different elements i think to to the work um and i suppose it dependent as well on the age of the child you work with so like i said we would draw from different sort of areas of psychology depending on the age range so the naught to two age range you're very much thinking about concepts like mm. co-regulation, containment, attuned interactions, all those, um, all that, what I like to think of as the fertile soil in which yeah. those secure attachments 
blossom and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you move to sort of working with parents and children more, you know, that two to four age range, you're starting to think about helping parents set limits, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, manage some tricky behaviours um, using maybe sort of positive parenting approaches. So um, you, you draw on, you know, different areas of, of psychology then to help with that, including things like sometimes, you know, positive reinforcement mm. and social learning theory and modelling. So it's, I think, what's really nice about um, being part of a psychology-led team in this way and, and it being a bespoke intervention is that you can draw on whatever whatever areas of psychology are going to be helpful for that particular family in that particular context that that's the the beauty i think of of it being psychology led is that you've got this wealth of understanding and knowledge about all those different theories and research that you can you can bring to that specific family as opposed to a um you know there's loads of universal parenting programs that have had fantastic outcomes and and there's a really rich evidence base for them being effective but i think there's something about it being a psychology-led bespoke intervention for parents that is really well our results are showing that they are it 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 is families are valuing Mm. the intervention and it is showing some really good outcomes so um yeah 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 i mean there's 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 loads of stuff in there that kind of really resonates with i guess a lot of my experiences and the research that i did for my uh doctoral uh, thesis about father's perception of their role and what what i found quite often when you talk about angels and ghosts in the nursery that that was definitely a a theme and you know that what i kind of found that was although we have might have cultural ideas about what good parenting is um and those might inform people's perceptions going into becoming a parent it's like their um their role as a parent is is dyadic it kind of forms in relation to their family and to 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 understanding their child and be able to respond to their needs and that is something which can be i guess relatively isolating uh, in some respects, particularly in, I guess, time of a, a pandemic and uh, and all mm. of those sort of things. So I guess your your reference points are those ghosts or angels, you know, those positive uh, role models or those less positive uh, role models. And I kind of found that fathers talked about, you know, as you say, either wanting to replicate how they're parented by their parents or father or, or com- completely change from it. But what they found as they experienced parenting more and more, was actually that they were that they were seeing reflections of their own negative experiences with their parents of having a parent who was unable to respond to those emotional needs um, or understand or contain uh, and realised it's really hard. It's just it's just hard and and splitting the the earning money, bringing that into the family along with the, the things that we might see as you know kind of more pure parenting. Um, you know the kind of warmth attachmenty sort of stuff is is a really difficult balance to to uh, hold, particularly in a time mm-hmm. where family structure it doesn't really have a norm anymore. Um, and I saw yeah. it was on a, it was on a TV program the other day, but I really liked it as a 
as as a way of framing it is it's about you know the commitment and style of parenthood rather than the family structure um in, 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 and that's how children flourish if, if they got committed and engaged parents even if those parents aren't together so it sounds yeah. you know like a really amazing work that you're able to offer it to both parents and work on those relationships and deal with some of the kind of more unconscious things that parents might might bring to to that role um, so mm -hmm. it sounds really amazing so you talked kind of briefly about kind of outcomes you've had and that parents are really um valuing this work would there mm -hmm. like, are there other kind of headlines you kind of draw from the work in terms of outcomes and or bits of learning um, that it's taught you yeah i think we measure um we measure parental satisfaction pre and post intervention we also measure um satisfaction with the relationship with their child and also with their child's behavior um and we consistently see those things um rise pre you know following following an intervention and and we've we've actually um so i'm i'm trying when i've got a spare couple of hours to put a paper together to to, to look at you know some of the outcomes awesome. um of this so that's them that's something i'm working on at the moment but we we do see um a significant increase in pre and post measures there um, and interestingly what we also measure is we ask parents at the end of an intervention to give a retrospective rating so we say if you, now that you've done the work with us th think back um, and where would you have rated yourself on satisfaction with being a parent your relationship mm. with your child and your behavior and what we find is that they more again there's that they tend to have overestimated their satisfaction with say the relationship and stuff mm -hmm. um and and they actually lower their pre-score given the opportunity to do so again so we think there's something interesting in that about mm. um that conscious awareness then of well i thought i was okay about you know i, I rated the relationship on this like at scale at, at a four but looking back now I think it was more like a two so mm. there's something really interesting about that that we're gonna maybe have a look into but what I've found I think since we've um, really focused on developing our own knowledge and skills of this naught to two age range so like I said we've we have done more specialist additional training in in what we wonder in VIG in Ghosts in the Nursery in 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 mentalization re reflective parenting those kinds of concepts so concepts that are linked with like i mentioned earlier, early child development the field of infant mental health etc what we're finding is from our qualitative feedback from parents um there seems to be a shift in in how parents are describing what they found helpful about the intervention. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I'd love to, if, when I get again time, but I'd love to look, almost do a thematic analysis of, of the comments, the qualitative comments we, we used to get pre us going on this journey with regards yeah. to enhancing our not to two age range interventions um, and, and, and almost looking at the, because what, 
just anecdotally what we're finding is that there's parents are talking about more of the things that have changed for them being about my relationship with my child I'm able to regulate my own emotions so that I can cook they don't you always use these words but I can I can calm myself so that I can calm my child um I'm now understanding that I need they need me to help them with their big feelings before um I understand my child's brain development more I used to think they were able to do xyz and now I realize that that they're not they're not developmentally able to do that now you know things are calmer at home me and my partner are on the same page more with regards mm-hmm. to how we respond so that does it does feel like as well as um the the the, the you know just the the statistics around the pre and post and retrospective measures um shown a positive um distance traveled we also feel anecdotally that there's a shift in in the things that are changing for families and that's really hopeful and heartening because regardless of age range I think I've talked about you know the specific psychological theories we draw from with naught to two two to four I think one of the overarching things we try to do with any family um regardless of the age of the child is to increase this parental mentalization reflective functioning um the ability to understand why the child might be behaving or you know seeing their child as um as an individual with their own thoughts and feelings trying to understand what's going on underneath these behaviors etc and, and understanding their own you know reactions and why certain things um is triggering to them as parents etc so that I think one of the overall things we aim to do is to increase that reflect you know to increase the the parents ability to be reflective um and that seems to be what's coming through with with a qualitative thing is that I understand myself better as a parent I understand Mm -hmm. my child and linked to that I understand the my child's development in more detail, where they're at and how to, you know, how to be within that ch- child's, say, zone of proximate development when I'm trying to support them with regards mm-hmm. to play, learning, behaviours, etc. So that's really hopeful and really encouraging. So we're hoping to to look at that in a bit more detail. Yeah, I mean, it, se- it seems, I mean, they sound amazing outcomes and particularly you know it really caught my interest that kind of retrospective downgrading of how they felt at the start mm. it seems that perhaps that shows that there's kind of societal or familial pressure to present yourself as a certain type of parents but through reflection you can come become more self-accepting that this is difficult and understand you know using psychology to understand that the, the needs of your children and your needs of yourself and how those work in a relationship and that seems to be kind of where my kind of thinking was going about you know how do we help parents how do we help fathers to, to understand their role and you know what can EPs do and this I guess this gives a, a, a kind of an example of how psychology can be used in a really kind of positive proactive uh, way um, that is helping families to thrive and you know, setting the tone for that healthy relationship 
and healthy environment at home, which kind of Winnicott would say, that's mm -hmm. good enough parenting. That's bringing about good enough parenting when you're able to provide care and an average acceptable environment and enabling environment and all of those sort of things. Exactly. So. And I think it goes back to that idea that we talked about, right? Is that, you know, our understanding of the change process, we know that parents need to feel safe and they need to trust, you know, if if we so we know people need to feel safe and trust us in order to take anything from us. So yeah. for parents to feel like we have anything to offer them mm -hmm. as a family or any knowledge that we can um, offer them. So thinking about this concept of epistemic trust. So, you know, we need to trust someone first in order to take on any new learning or information. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that is that is a key part of that work, I think. And I think we because we have that understanding of, like I said, not just the theory, but the, the, the psychology of change and how to, you know, we need, we need the trusting, safe relationship building stuff in order for people to take anything, any new information, any new learning. We also need parents to, to feel uh, safe um, in order to be able to think reflectively because lots of parents that we work with, um, their lives are difficult and mm. sometimes stressful and like you mentioned you know you don't know where your, your next paycheck's coming from or you might not have enough money to feed your children that week or you know and and, and we know that for parents to be able to be reflective mentalized think about what is going on for their child how's their child thinking and feeling they have to be they if they're in an over aroused um you know hyper aroused state th th that that mentalizing goes offline and they, mm -hmm. they you know, that's going to be really difficult. Whereas if they've got someone who's calling every week to sort of contain some of that to help them, maybe help with some, you know, we mm -hmm. often help with the practical stuff like, get, you know, getting some food and getting them, you know, beds and, you know, white goods for their homes as well. So we, we, we luckily we work as part of a wider network mm. in Cardiff where we work with lots of other agencies who can help us with that practical stuff to make families feel a bit safer and less stressed mm -hmm. in order to be able to do this this work which takes a lot sometimes of you know mentalizing something we do quite naturally but also can go offline very quickly when we're feeling stressed and I think just to comment on that really with regards to what's been happening for families over this past year with all the extra pressures with regards yeah. to not having those circles of support around them as much not having you know um child care um not be you know being stuck sometimes in in small flats with no outside space to mm. play you know all those extra pressures and stressors we are finding it, it is having an impact on parents just natural ability to be able to think about their child and their child's thoughts and feelings because yeah. it's a it, it's a more pressurized and stressful context yeah. and then and then as workers we are <laughs> we are we are dealing with some of that as well aren't we in our own yeah, lives absolutely. so trying to support but yeah, I think, yeah. and that's where I think, you know, again, supervision and supporting each other as a team, as teams, <laughs> is, is so important in that. Yeah, and it really, it really, I guess that kind of 
centering yourself on the experiences of your child and and within that relationship really kind of brings to mind some of the work that that, that Abby Wright's been doing for the DCP, talking to the BBC, talking mm-hmm. about sent, being centred within the well-being of your children and all of those things support, um, support good parenting and thriving in this, you know, really difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in. Um, yeah, and she's done yeah. fantastic stuff about, uh, you know, starting with yourself as a parent first around that, isn't it? Mm. Taking care of yourself, trying to you know, find ways to look after your own mental health and well-being, which can be easier said than done, in, you know, when mm. there's so many stressful factors. But and and that is something I that I'm always keen to to really um highlight and think about as well is that in the naughty two work, you know, we are very much focused on the environment of the child being the parent-infant relationship in the main. And but we're all uh, and how that that relationship can buffer against other stresses that are happening. So, you know, there's there's a one side of it assuring parents that they are doing probably a good enough job of of, mm. of providing interacting and providing for their children and being able to buffer against some of these wider stresses, but also is thinking about how the wider stresses that are impacting on the parent's ability to be able to do that is is so important as well so you know it's we need to think about wider stresses that a family is facing with regards to poverty with regards mm-hmm. to you know just just stressful um everyday events that they are dealing with and that well it's just that systemic view of it isn't it of how yeah. all those you know if we think of Bromford bread and it's just thinking of those multiple layers mm. really and how they're all sort of interacting and and impacting but you know there is a hopeful message for parents there I think because I think it really is you know for some families the lockdown and Covid has really impacted on on families negatively and for others it's been um an opportunity to reconnect with the babies and infants in ways they wouldn't have yeah. been able to and so it's so it's so varied from family to family is what we are what we are seeing yeah yeah which I guess is you know why you have to be so you know looking at it dyadically you can't just say this is the evidence that generally this works with parents um, yeah yeah so yeah yeah I mean that's it's, it's a really hopeful message and I guess you know rather than you know being hope as in shifting towards new goals and stretching yourself it's it's like you know just making things sure things are good enough for that relationship to develop and things to thrive mm-hmm. which you know bringing back to one of those phrases you were used earlier about kind of the fertile soil of the other stuff um to come mm-hmm. so that's a really helpful way of helping me to understand what uh, this sort of work could look like and i guess give me that hope that I could use psychology in that way to to actually do this work should the opportunity um, arise. So kind of to kind of shift on to like you know if people are really interested in this this area of work, if they're aspiring EPs or trainees or or fully qualified ed- education psychologists, you know how can we you know how can they develop their skills and knowledge? Um, and is there any support for them if they are looking to develop this sort of work that they could do? Yeah, so 
I suppose I'll just mention two key maybe organisations that have been really helpful to me in developing um, my knowledge, skills um, and expertise in this in this particular area. So there's the Association of Infomental Health, um, which I mentioned right at the start that I'm, I co-lead the Wales Hub for with, with my colleague, Orion Owen, who's a health visitor. So we, um, with regards to AIM, they're really supportive in developing you know, it's a really multi-agent, multidisciplinary approach to supporting any professionals really involved in this age range. So um, there's on their website, there's a whole host of resources, information about events, you know, often free events, if you remember, of AIM. Um, there's, um, and they really, it's a charity organisation that supports any professionals who are working with parents and infants in this 0 to 2, you know, really important age range. Um, one of the exciting things that they are developing at the moment is, um, and my team's part of the pilot for this, is a, an an infomental health competencies framework. Okay. So it's that recognition that yes, lots of people have got their initial training in whatever area, psychology, health visiting, um, early years practitioners, but that um, you know, when we're working with this particular age range, we might need to develop skill, you know, keep developing our skills. So they are developing this competencies framework where practitioners are able to self-assess against that and have a look at, you know, the competencies they've gained within, you know, in their day-to-day -day work and where they might want to, you know, if there are any gaps, how, you know, where they would want to plug those gaps. And like I said, lots of information about training that's going on all across the UK with regards to payment and infant work. Um, and then another really key organisation is the Parent Infant Foundation. So they, uh, the Parent Infant Foundation are also involved with the um, 1001 Critical Days movement that's okay. trying to, um, you know, support and um, advocate for um, babies and infants in the first 1001 days. We call it the first thousand days in Wales because we like yeah. to be... <laughs> <laughs> a little bit different so um yeah they're a really great organization they are involved in supporting the development of more specialist parent different relationship teams across the uk um so um again my team is hopefully going to be recognized as the second specialist parent different relationship team in wales so there's another team in in gwent as well Mm -hmm. a Gwent parent infant mental health team so um yeah they are really actively involved in this age in this age range as well and got a fantastic website with lots of information about you know early brain development the importance of relationships um so that would be another place that would be really you know a good good source of information good quality information as well okay. to and go we to those those in the description for this podcast so people can investigate those. Great. Just you know from my perspective coming into this conversation really interested in you know that work of children you know not to I kind of come out of this conversation feeling more confident that I probably have the skills that are necessary mm -hmm. for that and there's learning still to be done but um, you know I'm in a good 
<laughs> profession to, to develop those skills. And it's about kind of taking those opportunities and developing um, interventions, like you say, from the ground up, uh, which can lead to really interesting systemic and, you know, seems really rewarding um, for everybody involved. And I guess the other, I guess the meta theme that has kind of come across from what kind of, I guess, all our encounters over, I guess, the last 10 years, although the, you know, the two account, the two main encounters, is that, you know, being relational, being um, accessible with the psychology that you use can be really helpful to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways, even if our work is largely focused on the, the children um, mm -hmm. that, that are focused there. So I want to thank you so much, uh, Nicola, for your time today. Um, and I look forward to hearing more about your your adventures with the earliest of early years. Thank you, Tim. It's been a pleasure.